Hey, 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 everyone, and welcome back to Gems with Genesis of Mars <laughs> Camp. Today in the hot seat is Andy Chalef, and his show is called A Wonderful World of Chaos. So I was like, what better way to start off our show than to welcome Andy? Andy, welcome. Share who you are. <laughs> I'm, I've never got to like imitate my own face on this thing. This is fantastic. I'm Andy Chalef. You know who I am. You've been on my show. What do you want me to tell you? You know me already. I do know you, but my listeners and viewers do not. So they want to know who is Andy. I, I, I think a wonderful world of chaos is all about like accepting that we don't know a damn thing. And then things happen. And then we react to those things. And there's a joy in it. So I could give you 20 different versions of my story. Um, but like uh, I always find that to be so uninteresting. Like, uh, you know I... why it's interesting? <laughs> why? Sorry, if I may. Yes. Um, because, because people need a context to understand why they want to listen to you. So you have to give someone, but I'd like to think that everyone is interesting, that we shouldn't need to tell me, hey, you ran a business. And now I think, oh, wow, this person's special. Like you're special just because you exist. And it would be beautiful to think that couldn't we just all find people interesting by the fact that they just are? That would be my, that would be what I'd want life to be like. Yes, that would be a perfect way to describe the life that I want. And I hope the rest of the world wants because there's so much going on in the world today. And I think that's why I love and resonate with your show, A Wonderful World of Chaos, because you could just be your authentic, fun, vibrant self because there is chaos all around us, but it matters how we choose to react to the chaos. But there are interesting things in your life, Andy, that I like to know. And I think the listeners and viewers like to know just how you got to where you are and just kind of give us your back end story because you're going on the surface level. There's more to Andy than yes, a wonderful world of chaos. And <sighs> so we go, I mean, if you want to take it like to the deep stuff, then it all began when I was 18 and my mom was hit and killed by a drunk driver. And until 18, life was beautiful and rosy and great. And after 18, there were a lot of years of just depression and a meaningless life. I didn't, you know, I didn't have any joy come from life because I saw everyone around me at the same age really enjoying themselves. And I was just in utter sorrow. So uh, I was, uh, say, I was uh, curious enough to say, let's let's get out of here and try something different. And then at the age of 20, I basically left the US and, uh, and you know, I've just been roaming and living and working, um, lived in seven countries since I left. And I, I kind of, my dad at that time, and I never had a very good relationship. So at some point he just disowned me and kicked me out of the house and said, you're dead. That's it. Goodbye. We're not going to talk again. And, and that was in the sort of the age of 24. And I basically got, you know, I got the fear of death in me and I started to got a job. I became a director of a computer company and then helped take the computer company public and learned how business works. Not, not even because I wanted to per se, just because I was so scared. I was not going to have enough money to survive on my own. And, uh, and I did that reasonably well. I was a marketing director and, uh, 
I did that for many years until I started looking in the mirror and saying, God, I don't like you. Like, like the, the person I'd become was kind of everything I didn't really want to become. And, uh, and then I think in like, you know, we have these cinematic moments. I kind of see them like that now. There's like these cinematic moments in life where it's like a scene from this life journey. And there was like the like cinematic moment was like, Andy, is this the way you want your life to go? Like you could live this way. I was getting paid way too much money. Just, it was just crazy. I think I'm getting paid. I get all my f- travel free. I got a car that in my phone, like I didn't have any cost and I'm living this life. And that was like, but I'm so unhappy. Yeah. And so basically I sold everything I owned and I got on a plane and went from Vienna and Austria. And I went to, um, to Amsterdam where I now am. And I, and I basically worked for another person and they were very, what one would call in, in sort of secular or non-secular, I don't know what the correct term is, but they were a non-dual teacher, someone who was very, very intense on showing you where your mental constructs were getting you stuck. And I spent 10 years working, say, underneath or four, sometimes as a partner to that, to that person. And then they died about five years ago. So after they died, I sort of took up the mantle and decided how I wanted to take the work, which I learned with and through him, and start to do that on my own. And I went into business again, but this time I went in with a very clear head. I was very much saying the things that no one else would say in the room. Everyone would feel it, but no one would feel confident enough to speak it out. And, and I would just really own the, the, the sensibility of the, of the environment without blame or shame or guilt. It was like a shameless life. And so when I come into the room in the business sense, there's always kind of a lot of laughter. If, Andy, if Andy's in the meeting, everyone knows, okay, this is going to be funny. And yeah. they, know, they know, but it's not fun for the sake of jokes. It's fun for the sake of celebrating what's really going on here. And, uh, and then that's just, you know, I mentor a lot of people. There's a lot of you know, CEOs, well-known people in a lot of cases. So I really do get like a lot of funky, interesting client engagements because I've just got this reputation for being this kind of energetic, truth-loving, um, compassionate without any games. And that's a hard thing, you know, without like the ego is more an ego of let me play and have fun and not, it doesn't need a center around me. I, I don't really care who is the center. I just want to make sure processes are running as, as well as they can in the environments that I come into. Yeah. And that is what I wanted you to open up with, Andy. Yes, because you walked us through <laughs> your childhood, that hard time in, in your life with your mom. And I'm so sorry that happened. I don't even know mm. how to relate to that, but I know what it's like to lose a parent because I lost my dad. Um, It'll be eight months on the 25th this week. Then Mm -hmm. for your own father, who a dad and a father are supposed to have, you know, I mean, not a dad and father, a dad and a son are supposed to have that type of bond. But for for your dad to say that you were dead to him, you see how you went through all the hurt and the challenges, but those challenges made you stronger and it made you who Andy was. And then you went through a period where you left the U.S., you left that comfort zone and you launched out deep. You took that, you know, you took that jump and you just pulled the parachute and you're like, you know what? 
I'm going to make it. And you did things out of necessity, but it's the things that you did out of necessity that helped mold you and shape you to the man you are, the husband you are, the business owner you are, the mogul, the beast, all the incredible things that is going right with Andy. If you never went through those trying and hard times, would you say that you would have looked at yourself in the mirror and said, hey, I don't really know who Andy is. I don't like Andy. Would you have got to that point during the pivotal time in your life if you didn't go through those hard things? Of course not. No. I mean, the whole thing is, is uh, like I said about the cinematic moments, is that yeah. those are the moments that are like anchors in your life when you when you acted or behaved in a way when you think if that's what if that's the way. It's like the, the, when you're watching the hero or the protagonist in the movie and you're like, that's the kind of life I want to have. So when you emulate that in your own life, there's something that just feels so great about that. And uh, it's hard to translate for other people because other people think you're insane, right? When I was a director and had this setup, everyone's like, wow, you've got a pretty good gig going here. And now you're you're basically living, I'm homeless, basically, in the sense of I live in an attic, there's no water, electricity, heating, nothing. It was just a room that was damp and not particularly nice. And I was in heaven. I was in heaven. And, and everyone else around me was like, oh, this, and he's kind of lost it, you know, he, he, you know, and, but the, the humor was, was that, was that, that I kept singing that song, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Because in a way, I, what I realized is when you attach to anything, uh, you know, material in your world that you think is the thing that will make you happy, you'll soon find out that it just accumulates and needs to be managed. So when you get rid of all that, all you're left with is just this moment. You're like, wow, I can be happy in this moment. That, 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 that works. So, yeah. okay. Question there. Cause I want to dive a little bit deeper on that point, Andy. Yeah. And while, while I dive deeper, when I come back to you to answer the question, I want you to make the face like you're making in that picture with Bombos. I have a hard time doing it. I really needed to, I was like, <laughs> I love that. Oh face. my gosh. So when you came to that point of getting rid of everything and saying, you know what, I'm getting rid of all this materialistic junk. How yeah. did you feel in that moment? What were your emotions that were attached to that? I was more proud of myself then than I think any other moment in my life. Because, Why then? Because I did what wasn't easy. What I, what I realized was that my path Although I, I, I did, there was a lot of necessity. When my dad threw me out, I needed to make money. So I needed to find a job and, and work my, my, my life out. But the thing was, was that in that point, I kind of followed the life that chose me. Yes, I tried to get jobs and I got a job and I got, I got a lucky break and I, and, I, and I did the most I could with it. But what I never had done is said, you know what? Like, what if I just did a life do-over? What if I just said, whatever you've been or whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Let's just throw it all in the bin and just say, what do you want to become if you didn't have to like, think about money and live in fear? Or what it, you didn't have to think about how do I impress my dad or make him think that I'm not a waste of a life, like he might have said, right? So, so I now was like, wow, this is my life. What does it look like? And I had no idea. I still don't have an idea, to be honest with you. But, but then I certainly didn't have an idea, but I chose it anyways. And for me, there was a lot of pride 
and choosing the less comfortable path for sure. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that pride came because you were so used to living a certain lifestyle and you needed to hit that reset button in order to really just grow mentally, physically, and emotionally, and to see that personal development, that you had some attachments that you weren't ready to let go, but you had to cut the strings in order for you to soar to the eagle you want it to be? Yeah. I mean, you know, I look at life and I write about this a lot in the in the books is that I look at life as that we we spend the say the first half of our lives accumulating identities. Mm-hmm. I'm a good business person. I'm a world traveler. I was a good athlete, so that was important to me when I was in my teens. Um, I'm a good lover, right? Whatever the thing is that I need to think so I feel good about myself. And then the last half of your life, you look at all the things that you can let go of. Like, oh, I don't need to be good at anything. Oh, and I'm still, I'm still fine. Fantastic. I'm fine. I don't need to be this. I don't need to be that. And so there's this buildup of identity, which was what, what sort of led to this person who was uh, at that time in Austria as the director of this computer company. And then there was this person who was very identified with being successful and, and wanting people to see me as successful. That was very important to that person at that time. And, uh, and then then the, the, I guess the freedom came where I said, you know what? Actually, I don't need to measure my life by anyone else's criteria but my own. And that was when my life really turned around. Yeah. I love that because you stopped looking for validation from all the wrong places and really sought the validation for, from Andy and what you wanted mm-hmm. to do. And you yeah. say, you know what, YOLO, you only live once and I'm just going to be ballsy with it and you either like it or you love it, but you know what, I'm doing me regardless. So now that you're in this business sense, you took over for the guy who you were in partner partnership yeah. with or under, how did mm-hmm. you change the atmosphere work because there's not a lot of men who look like you who would just have that fun vibrant energy without like beating people down like yes you get the job done but you also are real with it how do you go about um living that out in the workplace because it's so hard for CEOs and I come from oil and gas to really take on that persona because everyone is just all about the dollars yeah, and I don't think it's not necessarily only about the dollars, but you're right. It all of a sudden does go back because even in the case of the CEO, the CEO has to put on a face because the board of directors, if they don't like his behavior, then they're going to give him a you know a talk down. It's no different than Elon Musk smoking a joint on this radio show. You know, I mean, if he did it at home and it was no no one around, then it would be acceptable. But if he does it on air. Then all of a sudden, it's like, this is irresponsible behavior. So uh, in a way, he was keeping it real. Like that was authentic. He was just being who he is and letting people see him in that way. But society doesn't like that. Society, in the case of the dollars, because what happened was the share price drops because they say this guy is a lunatic. So if people were to take my snippets from all of my shows and want to make me look like the biggest jerk in the world, it would be really easy to do. There's 250 hours of it. So, so, but I guess that the point is, is that, so I mean, I said all this in agreement to what you were saying is that there are a lot of societal, um, even within cultural, within companies, which make it very, very hard 
for people to live authentically and vulnerably. So exactly. I don't want to pretend that it's not that way. Yeah. And I love that you say that because I see you from both lenses. I see you from, you know, the lens of an entrepreneur. And I also see you from the lens of a boss man and at actually a lens from just a human being where we are all flawed individuals. We all make mistakes. So if you do stuff behind closed doors that you won't do in in public, you're living a double life. And it's exhausting to be two separate ways, one way with your your family and friends, one way with work, because you're wearing two different hats. I've been there. I've done that, especially now, like, now transitioning out of corporate America Mm -hmm. and no longer being on oil and gas. Sometimes when you go to work, like you could see that people have the weight on their shoulders and they're way down, they're beaten down and they want to say something, but they choose not to because they're like, am I going to lose my job with these good benefits? Am I going to be seen differently? And I feel like we need to get to a point where we let people know it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be transparent and it's okay to be you. But of course, you're not going to say anything like crazy or off the hinges, but you should be able to express yourself in a healthy way especially if that company is really promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, and let's not forget about equality. If you can't be yourself where you spend the majority of your time, then you need to reevaluate where you are and ask yourself, am I right for this company? Is this company right for me? Am I in the right season of my life? Because you're not going to get that time back. Time is moving so fast. So how do you encourage the people that are on your team? And I would say the collaborators, the allies, the partners, because when I hear you, Bombas, you want everyone to win, but you want them to get there for lack of better terms. You want them to get their shit done and do it right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a mix. I mean, I'm, I fall more into the space of holding love and uh, support because I do believe that if people feel loved and supported, they'll get there on their own as fast as they can get there. Like, the only time I think I put direction in is when I see them losing their SHIT. Then I think, okay, I need to take over a little bit of their agency because they're not focused enough. They're not able to get their own stuff done. So they need somebody to kind of manage their lives for them, hopefully for a short period of time. I so like I'll, I'll do both sides. But, but I'm very conscious when I get when I do anything which encroaches on another person's, I'll always use the word agency because I believe they should have agency over their own lives. Um, but I will encroach and say, okay, it's time for me to meddle in your life. And there's things that got to change. And that that's more of a mentor role. It's not a coaching role. Coaching, you can sort of ask questions and facilitate another person's thinking. A mentoring is, I'm now going to tell you principally why one thing is better than another thing and why you should be doing this instead of that. You know, it's more of a dictatorial sort of without the needing, you know what I mean? It's more, uh, yeah. And now where you are now, do you look back at your past and pull from different experiences that have happened and just kind of reflect on them and say, you know what, this happened to me, but it also happened for me. And I'm a better, I'm a better man. I'm a better business. And how do you share that with someone who is going through a similar situation that you went through? Um, It's interesting. It's a, it's a hard question you're asking for a lot of reasons because 
the more experience you have, a lot of times, the more ignorant you become. And that's the, the paradox, right? The more, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. So I think it's one phase in your life when someone's telling a story, you'll think, what's my story so I can tell them my version of their story? You know, it, it's hit for tat. You say your story, I say my story. That's nice. I do it a lot. I do it a lot on the show that, that I have. But there's another aspect to it, which is like sometimes people just need to figure out things on their own. And the more you think you can teach them, you're doing them a disservice because they need to make mistakes. And I think that's a weird thing because a lot of times people don't think, hey, my job can't be to watch a train hit a wall. I got to stop it. Where sometimes the greatest gift you can give someone is just hold the space while the train hits the wall because that's an experience they need to have in order for them to make better decisions going forward. Oh, I like that perspective. I, I didn't think about it that way. And I said, now that you explained it the way you did, that does make mm -hmm. sense. Because if we never allow that individual to hit the wall, they're never going to learn that lesson. Yeah. And if they don't lose, if they don't learn that lesson, they're missing out on part of that personal development and growth that they need to be successful. And I feel like sometimes we, we try to be someone's savior whenever they may not necessarily need a savior. They just may need someone to be alongside of them yeah. to just kind of, you know, nudge them a little bit, but not just come in and swoop them up like a vulture. Yeah. And you balance that. Every client is different. Some of them I've seen in my life, they're very strong-minded because people don't get to high levels unless they've got usually some level of strength. So when you're working with them, a lot of times I'll have to be stronger, more street, street smart, directive, like, guy, you know this, don't be stupid. You know, like, like, so why am I having to tell you this if you know this already? Like, why aren't you doing it? So that would be like a loving, strong friend who is speaking to them, not in any way, but just getting things done quicker by being, you know, if I went and said, what makes that you do it that way? What might be a better way of doing it in the future? You know, what a coach might do, then there's no way they, they chew, chew me up and spit me out, right? That wouldn't work. Yeah, because I'll be like, man, this guy, this guy is a little too soft. Like I need someone that's a little rough around the edges, yeah. but could call me out on my stuff, but will help me get to where I'm trying to go. And I think, you know, some people don't really want that directness because they're so used to the cookie cutter way of society and everything yeah. being on a platter, or they want the caviar, but they don't want to know how the caviar, you know, got to where it did the process you know behind it or you know I could give another analogy but you get it Andy so talk about how you and Bombos came together for a wonderful world mm. of chaos and for you listeners and viewers Bombos is the one that is on the other side of Andy that guy Bombos there um yeah Bombos I've been mentoring Bombos for many years and uh and Bombos every time I'd mentor him he'd turn on his iPhone and he'd start recording me talking to him. And I would be like, Bambos, what are you doing? You know, like who wants to, it's hard enough to listen to me. Why would you want to watch a video of me afterwards? Right. And he just says, no, Andy, this is really valuable stuff. So he basically, when COVID hit, we were stuck. We were, we couldn't go out. We couldn't do anything. He said, let's, let's do a show where we basically record what we would otherwise talk about. And we'll just let other people watch us as we do that. And, uh, and we did that. And that, we're at 250 shows since COVID began. So I think we took one hiatus for a few months. 
just to get some break time. But we run every day, 5 p.m. Central European time. So 8 a.m. Pacific and uh, 11 a.m. Eastern. And we just, it's every day, new guests, uh, always trying to find topics that are very emotionally centered as far as possible. So I'm not looking for self-help gurus to tell me how to live my life. I want to listen to someone's personal story and what, what made them who they are today. Because I just see in humanity, we all share parts of that in ourselves. So I'd rather have stories that we all can identify with and no one preaching down to other people. Yeah, that's uh, not my life. I like that because when I saw you on Bombos for the first time, like you're really into it, like you're cinematic, very expressive. And then I look over and Zombo is like in his Zen zone. He's nice and calm. And I'm like, oh, he just kind of makes you want to just go pull out a yoga mat and say, um, (laughs) because he's just like, and I was like man how do I break this guy and like you would say like crazy funny stuff and like our personalities are kind of similar and I just bust out laughing and then he's just still in his like centeredness and I'm like what what is it I was like I want him to like break a sweat laugh do something like get crazy with it I think we we've gone through gen we've evolved in the show because when we started you know you know you know, it, people don't realize, but for Bombos to do this show, it was really, really hard. So it was funny because he would always say for the first 50 to 70 shows, he says, I don't want to be here. I don't like this. I'm like, great, then don't be here. Let's not do this. And then he says, no, I need to be here. I need to learn. And by being next to me and being with people, being in the interview, he started to feel he would, you know, the hardest thing for me was he would judge our guests. So I would invite somebody on, we'd have an interaction and he would start through his questioning, showing that he would judge them. And then I'm like, whoa, no, that's not happening on anything I'm part of. So we had some really, really tough talks. You know, I was like, you don't get to do that. That isn't what we're here. We're not here to pass judgment, even if it's subtle, because, you know, you know, it's funny. We don't know how much we how much we reveal about ourselves in a question. You know, and it's almost, and he, and in, in, in that way, I'm picking up so much subtle energy that if someone asks a question like uh, that, that gives someone, a, makes them uncomfortable, then, then, then I'm like, oh no, that's not, like, uh, like Genesis, um, uh, that, that shirt you're wearing, how did you come to think that that shirt would be appropriate for a show like this? I just woke up and this is what I wanted to wear. It was <laughs> yellow, it was bright, it was fun. It's energy. But do you you see what you see what it does to you? You like have to justify it. Like, what are we talking about? Yeah. You know, before I came on this show, my my wife said to me, are you going to wear those pajamas onto this and this thing you're doing? You know, like like the the thing the the humor of life is we reveal so much of ourselves, but we don't know it because we think that our mask actually uh, is not seen behind. And uh, and and that's those type of questions. I apologize for not letting you know that was a trick uh, statement. But that, that, that's the kind of thing that if we're not aware of it, it bleeds into our lives and then we don't realize why people are triggered by us. And you're like, yeah, they're triggered by you because they hear the judgment that you're not, not, not owning, right? And no problem with the trick question. Like you're a human, I'm a human. I, I like to have fun. As you, as you know, Andy, like I've been on your show and I actually like to go deep. Like behind the scenes, I wish when you and I 
went behind the scenes on your show, like to debrief. I wish we would have put that on yeah. like record because somebody needed to hear that because you just like you gave it to me straight, real, raw, authentic, uncut. Cause we were talking about my book, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. I was telling you what I went through. You were telling me from your your side of you because people looking at you, people are like, oh, he's just a white guy. But you're more than just a white guy. Like people see your outward appearance, but they never take the time to re really go deep and figure out who Andy is. Yeah. Like outwardly. Because when we were talking offline, we, it was a funny discussion because I was mentoring you. And, and I said to you, listen, when I mentor somebody, like I'm really cautious about mentoring. If I'm coaching you, it's a very soft, loving space. Like people won't understand necessarily the trust we have with one another because trust doesn't exist. I don't even go into a mentoring mode. It's a waste of time. Why would you do that? But when, I, when I'm mentoring and I'm like, hold on, now I become the authoritarian guy with all the experience telling you how and what you should do. I've seen the comments and the posts that come in. Who does he think he is to be telling Genesis how she, Genesis don't listen to him? He, you know, like that, that that's and I'm like, I don't need that in my life. Right. I'll I'd rather work with mm -hmm. the clients that are be benefiting and, and appreciative and value it. And then and then we could have an offline talk. But uh, but yeah, I, I just I've, I've, I'm like, my life isn't to out there to get trolls to sort of defend thinking that I'm actually speaking poorly to you. So yeah, it was interesting because yeah. it was funny when you when you said to me afterwards, like I really wish we would that that would have been on the show. And I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to put myself out there to be, you know, whatever we call it, uh, fodder for the for the trolls out there. And I'm glad you you knew you know your boundaries. I was just saying it from like perspective that there's more people like from like a a a different color a background a different like working relationship type of background different stuff that we need to really have those courageous conversations yeah. i like to call it because there's so many people out here in corporate america and in, in various industries who a lot of the boards of directors are guys that look like you and a lot of people who are at the bottom trying to climb the corporate ladder look like me and they're afraid to have those meat and potato conversations because they don't want to offend anyone they don't want to ruffle any feathers but if we never talk about the elephant in the room then how are we going to help the board of directors as well as help the people who are at the bottom who are aspiring to get to the top but may not have a fair chance to get there yeah. if somebody does not come from the top down or the bottom does not go up to meet them where they're at well i've seen this and I, and, and and my take on it is not is not uh, not embraced often is that I see the problem is uh, we are biased inherently. We are biased by birth. Even the studies that show babies that are just tiny, they will choose people that arbitrarily decide the similar cereals. Uh, so they'll be prejudiced against people that want a different cereal than they want. At very, very young baby-like ages, there's a study in-group study that was done. It was a 2020. If you watch it afterwards, afterwards, you kind of want to throw up a bit because you're like, oh my God, this makes me sick to my stomach. That even a baby is showing basis of uh, bias at that age. So that, that, that's, so that's the, and so then what, what that brings me to say is how do we heighten the consciousness around a bias so that people become to realize that they are inherently biased and not judge it? 
not get, not judge it as good or bad because then we have to feel shame and guilt. And I can guarantee you, if you're talking to anyone in the C-level suites, they're going to like pay all the lip service, tell you all the things they're doing in order to satisfy equity and inclusion and diversity. But when it comes to it, if they aren't aware on a daily basis of how their brains are making arbitrary decisions they're not aware of, then basically it's just lip service. So, so, so my challenge is like, how do I tell a person you have to heighten your level of consciousness? I don't want you to think you're a racist or not a racist. I'd prefer you saying I'm a racist. I haven't figured out how yet. Like I'd rather you be the default is I don't know how I'm a racist. I got to figure that out as opposed to saying I'm not, I'm not because in that defending of it, we don't have an opportunity to learn. Like, and that learning for me is it goes way beyond race, racial inequality. It goes to like spiritual enlightenment, what one would call, because when you see through the mask of like this constructed reality we live in, then you realize, wow, there's so much going on here that I've taken for granted. Exactly. And if the yeah. things that you take for granted are very, very well, the things that you need for your growth, but you're so busy um, paying attention to the societal norms, you're so busy paying attention to your upbringings, you're so busy paying attention to things that aren't really challenging you past your status quo, they're not challenging you yeah. past your unconscious biases, your perceptions, your judgments, and you're leaving those things on the back burner when in actuality, you really need them to come to the forefront so you could really be the person that you desire to be and stop wearing a mask. And I tell people like, I'm a very inquisitive person. Like, I feel like I have the United Nations in my families because one of my brother's wife is Cameroonian. The other one is Indian. My sister's kids are half white. Like we just have a little bit of everything. And my, my mom is Caribbean. My dad was South American. So it's like a little melting pot, Dutch influence, all those things. And I was like, that's how I saw my world. So like when I see people who are different, like it doesn't bother me. Like, yes, I may say some things that are ignorant, but I'll, I'll say like a disclaimer if I said anything that has offended you, please let me know so I can learn from it and become better. Or I'll just ask a question. And sometimes my family is like, that is so rude to ask that, or that's so blunt. And I'm like, questions are made to ask. I don't think there's no stupid question. And I try to tell people, if you were offended by the question I asked, please let me know. Because if you never let that person know that they offended you, then they're going to keep on repeating it. And they may not mean any harm by it, but it's just the way that they're wired. Yeah. So you I, and you know, and sorry if I may. No, go you ahead. Used the word there that I wanted to touch on, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's when a you say when you use the word offensive, right? That word in my mind automatically triggers the kind of um, discourse that I'm trying to elevate. So I would say what I see is the individual isn't aware of the consequences of their behavior, of what they've said, of an action. So in that way, I'm not confronting it. I'm asking them to enlighten themselves up to another level. So they have no reason to resist me, per se. They still might resist me, but they, I don't give them the reason to resist me. That's the idea. I like that teaching. So can you give us three methods how we could practice that going forward, Andy? Okay. And then we'll so, wind down. Yeah, yeah. So you know, when you're in the world, there's going to be bias everywhere. And the assumption is we look through the prism 
Okay. And as soon as we have a story around a person being good or bad, or even when we project this whole word white, uh, the white privilege, the white male privilege, right? So as soon as that becomes the vernacular that we use, we've already separated ourselves from that individual. And that individual will, will feel it. So there'll be tension in that dynamic. So even though there's an obvious point, there's bias, there's total inconsiderate, there's not, there's no awareness in that group, right? I'm not going to overgeneralize the whole group. I'm saying I'm pointing at an individual right now. We'll call him, we'll call him Mark. So I'm looking at Mark right now, who's behaving in ways which he has no clue how offensive, how inappropriate, how just off base they are. So now there's so many different ways we can deal with Mark. Some of the ways we could say, oh yeah, he can only deal with, he, he can behave that way because he's, he's privileged. He doesn't even realize that, they're, they're, that he is, how blind he is. So I have always taken in my life, and this is why I told you offline, I didn't like to discuss this online because you could say, how can you say this because you're not in the position of others? And I say, I would agree with you. And yet there's still a way that I see engaging people doesn't push them away. So this is beyond race. This is actually just what I've learned from interacting with people around difficult discussions. And the difficult discussion goes something more like this. I notice that you're actually saying a few things and I'm not sure you're aware, but when that, when you say that, this is what comes up for me. And you might not also be aware that it doesn't just come up for me. There's a history of this in the past, which is why if you say that in a group of black people, they're not going to be very comfortable. And I'm sure you're not aware of this. So now, but by sharing it the way I just shared with you, the person feel seen, they feel respected. They actually see that you've given them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't do it intentionally. And you, you didn't have to humiliate them or make them feel shame. And in a way, what I see happen in that type of dynamic is people can become closer because they feel like they understand one another better. And that's the world I'm looking to support and create is how can I help people find one another. I don't want people to judge each other and then push each other away and and then say, look how dumb or stupid you are. I'd much prefer that people take this opportunity to say, wow, we have this opportunity to connect with a person around a subject that they not even aware how blind they are to that subject, potentially, right? They might just be an idiot. Who knows? I can't judge that, but I'm assuming they aren't. I like the way that you broke it down and I like that you put a disclaimer in there because I don't want any trolls to come for you, Andy, or anything like that. But I I really wanted you to unpack it because there was power behind what you were saying, in my opinion. And all of this for you listeners and viewers is just the way that Andy sees things. But just if I could reiterate, we are more alike than we are different. So we have to look for ways that there is alignment between us, no matter what you look like, no matter what your religious background is, your ethnicity, or your beliefs. There are similarities that we share more so than the differences. So we have to look for ways that we could bridge the gap for unity. And I always tell people, united we stand and divided we fall. 
look for the good in people rather than the evil in people. And of course, always use a spirit of discernment in your gut instinct because 99.9% your gut is not going to leave you wrong. If you feel some discord, you feel bad about something, you know, that may be your inner psyche telling you that something is off there. Don't just dismiss it. And as we wind down, Andy's going to give us either a quote that he lives by or three call or three statements that will kind of summarize our conversation today because it has been a powerful one. And that's why it's a wonderful world of chaos with Andy Shaloff. Ah. I'm going to do the three only because I don't know what they are and I like being uncomfortable. So I would say the first one is if I am not treating everything I do as a working assumption, then I'm going to get stuck. There are, there is no truth. There's just working assumptions. That's the first one. Second, I know that if I look at people through the lens of love and all of my interactions are looking and communicating through that lens, there's very little I can do wrong and there's a whole hell of a lot I can do right. And the third one would be, be very gentle on yourself because life is not easy and the looking out in the world and thinking there's other people doing it better or I should be further along and I should have achieved more and I'm not doing enough and all of that narrative is such nonsense because all we actually have is this moment. So if we reduce everything down and just say, who do I love and who do I know loves me? That is actually the most you will ever receive in this lifetime if you can feel it and if you can't you'll get stuck in a narrative that'll take you away from that moment and that would be the three wow three powerful gems dropped by andy like oh my gosh like let those resonate go back and listen to it write them down if you need to the whole premises behind gems with genesis mars kemp is for various people to come on the show and drop gems so you can get to your next level you could see things from a different vantage point a different perspective so we can all learn and grow together because we're not in this world by ourselves. And Andy, I want you to tell the listeners and viewers, once again, who you are, how they could connect with you on social media. And if you feel compelled, leave your email address. I mean, you just watch me every day. I'm on a wonderful chaos. If you type in a wonderful chaos on uh, anything, then you'll find us. We've got 250 of these shows, including one with Genesis that we did, which was really beautiful as well. And, uh, and otherwise, I mean, I, I don't really try to get more clients. I'm, I'm, I'm actually in the middle of writing the third book now. So the third book will be at the, done by the end of this year. And it's all about connection, making connections, discussing some of the topics we addressed with when you have difficult discussions, how do you address them in a way that actually brings you closer to the person you're discussing with and doesn't push them away. And there you have it, listeners and viewers. You just heard Andy Shaloff here on Gems with Genesis and Mars Kemp. Until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Signing out. Bye now. Bye.